Okay, chapter one, introduction to global marketing. I want you to make sure that you watch the video recording of this lecture, but I record it also in podcast form to perhaps go over it a little bit um, more in detail or to talk about it more um, casually. I want to hit the high points of what you should understand in each chapter when I do these podcasts. So the first slide, I'm giving you the learning objectives of the chapter. But let's talk about the learning objectives about the course. There has been such rapid growth in world trade and uh, free trade agreements, and yet some of these are uh, being challenged. We're going to look at those. And then there's the fact that free market systems are being more accepted in Latin America, Asia, Eastern Europe. The third would, impact would be how the internet, mobile phones, and uh, they have dissolved national borders globally. And then lastly, our need as businesses and the mandate that we have taken on to manage properly our natural resources and our global environment for years to come. Certainly, the world is warming as I see it, and it needs to be addressed. So, marketing is the activity, the set of institutions and processes for creating, delivering, and exchanging offerings that have value for customers, clients, partners, and society at large. That definition comes from the American Marketing Association. It's comprehensive, yet not easy to remember. I like marketing is everything you do now and a hundred years from now to find and keep customers. That's one I like better. Peter Drucker, in my mind, is the grandfather of modern marketing. And Drucker had this observation, which is as real today as it was when he first brought it out in the 50s. Because the purpose of a business is to create a customer. The two business enterprises, the business enterprise has two and only two business functions, marketing and innovation. Marketing and innovation produce results. All the rest are costs. Marketing is the distinguishing, unique function of the business. And then people will argue who would be the father of modern marketing. I say it's Ted Levitt of Harvard. Some argue it should be Philip Kotler, who his book, Marketing Management, is a classic in the field. And it certainly has had a great impact on marketing and how it's taught and practiced. Kotler said this, marketing is the science and art of exploring, creating and delivering value to satisfy the needs of a target market at a profit. Marketing identifies unfulfilled needs and desires. It defines measures and quantifies the size of the identified market and of the profit potential. It pinpoints which segments the company is capable of serving best 
and it designs and promotes the appropriate products and services. The most important concepts of marketing are segmentation, targeting, positioning, needs, wants, demands, offerings, brands, value, and satisfaction, exchange, transactions, relationships, and networks, marketing channels, supply chain, competition, the environment, marketing programs, and we will be talking and learning about these things. Let's define global marketing. It is a scope of activities outside the home market. So what is it? There's global marketing versus regular marketing. We're talking about those activities outside our home country. So marketing orientation breaks down into two different ways, existing markets and new markets. Let's start with existing. A product orientation for existing products takes a market penetration strategy. That's one way in existing markets. You can see this illustrated in the PowerPoint and in your textbook. That means getting existing customers to buy more of what we sell. Starbucks with their loyalty card, with their apps. That's what they're trying to do. Get you to buy more of the existing stuff that they sell. And then in existing markets, there's a new product orientation where we bring in new products to an existing market. Such as Starbucks decided to move into offices and with their Via product because they saw that as an untapped marketplace for expansion. We also go to new markets with a market development strategy where we take existing products out into new marketplaces like Starbucks did in Italy where they built a 25,000 square foot Starbucks and they brought in local uh, bakeries and um, products for people to eat while they drank their coffee. And then the last different orientation is diversification in new markets. We are taking new products in a new market. It's like Starbucks has done with purchasing companies that have different, you know, or juice companies or tea companies. It reminds me of Gonzuela's idea back in uh, years ago where he's talking about the share of stomach that Pepsi didn't just couldn't just be a soft drink company. They needed to get all the share of the stomach. So they needed a water brand. They needed a juice brand. And that's kind of where Starbucks went. There's challenges for marketers going globally. We're in unfamiliar countries, regions. Like I mentioned in my introduction podcast, I had never experienced a, a joint venture partner who was selling my, to try to get my customers direct. Bribery and corruption in some countries is terrible. Managers at global countries understand the importance of the local marketplace because the best global brands are also the best local brands. Your product must stand up locally. doesn't matter where it's from. It must be sold and marketed successfully locally. Customers must buy it and keep coming back for more. Now, the essence of marketing is to provide us a superior value proposition so that they pick you over your competition. Value is at the heart of 
of marketing. A value chain is comprised of marketing, product design, transportation, logistics, manufacturing, etc. Now, customers' perceived value is when we create value for customers by improving benefits, reducing pricing, you know, making product improvements, finding better ways to get the products out to you, creating better methods of communicating with you, cutting costs, dropping our prices as a result. Definition of a market. People are organizations that are both able and willing to buy. The value proposition. That means the perceived value to the customer and the firm's promise to the customer. For example, the Japanese automakers gained share in American marketplace in the 80s. They created a superior value proposition. Their cars were better built, higher quality. They got better mileage. And they were not as expensive as those U.S. car manufacturers whose cars were junky. That's how Honda and Toyota started to grow. Today's new value proposition, higher quality cars for 10,000 or less in the Indian and African marketplaces. Competitive advantage. That's when a company succeeds in creating more value for customers than its competitors do. And when that happens, that's competitive advantage. It happens and it's created when a firm has a value-creating strategy that is not simultaneously being implemented by any current or potential customers. Unfortunately, in our copycat world, once you have an advantage, you are very quickly copied. But that is what competitive advantage is. Globalization. Jadish Barwara. Economic globalization constitutes integration of national economies into the international economy through trade, direct foreign investment by both corporations and multinationals, short-term capital flows, international flows of workers, and humanity generally and flows of technology. There are so many opportunities and challenges for globalization, as well as opportunities for you to reconfigure your company. Those same global bazaar where you can buy the best products in the world wherever you are also enables us to find the best partners, the best products that we can use, the best services. Globalization in an industry is, in a glo is global to the extent that a the industry position in one country is interdependent with its industry position in another. No matter where you go, no matter how you ask, polar bears are associated with Coke and good times and happiness. One of the assignments in this module, we talk about the expansion of professional sports globally as Professional sports sought to ex in, uh, increase their reach, find more fans. Remember the Eagles played Jacksonville in London, and every year London celebrates that experience. NBA, NFL, MLS, they're all going abroad. Soccer is a world sport. And the NFL, as mentioned, are going for China, Canada, Germany. 
Japan, Mexico, besides the UK. It's important to understand the difference between competitive advantage, globalization, and global industries. Focus is key. Concentration and attention on core business and competence. The former chair of Nestle was quoted as saying, Nestle is focused. We are food and beverages. We don't run bicycle shops. Even in food, we're not in all fields. There are certain areas we don't touch. We have no soft drinks, and they have no intentions of buying Coca-Cola. They just leave it alone. That is how they define focus. Companies that understand and engage in global marketing can offer more value to customers than those, than those who don't. No longer is it some abstract idea, but a stark reality. If you choose not to participate in global markets, you really don't have the ability to compete as well. It's not an option. All firms, regardless of their size, have to craft strategies in the broad context of world markets to anticipate, respond, and adapt to the changing configuration of these markets. There are pros and cons to it. Hundreds of millions of people have been lifted from poverty and joined the middle class. Globalization has raised wages. Living standards have improved, but not all globalization has been evenly distributed. Trump's America First agenda is one example of a nation retreating into protectionism and isolation. That is globalization in reverse. There's two different ways of approaching this. Standardization and adaptation. When you go into globalization standardization, you are developing standardized products that will be marketing worldwide with a standardized marketing mix. This is essentially what mass marketing is all about. Now, the opposite way is to adapt to the local market where you mix a standardized and a customized approach in a way that minimizes costs but maximizes your customer and prospect satisfaction. It's the essence of good segmentation where you think globally but you act locally. What is and what isn't global marketing? A single country marketing strategy as opposed to a global marketing strategy. Since countries are different, marketing practices that work in one country won't work necessarily in the other. Their preferences, competitors, channels of distribution, communications may differ. So you got to realize to what extent your plans and programs should be extended, which ones need to be adapted. That is very important in running and, and making those decisions on how you're going to handle um, your global attack. Additional dimensions, concentration, extent to which activities related to the mix are performed in one or a few countries, coordination of marketing activities. That's the extent these activities are related to the mix and how they're planned and executed interdependently across the globe. Then there's the inner the integration of competitive moves, the extent which a firm's competitive marketing tactics in different places are interdependent. The Grateful Dead started the whole concept of the movement of raving fans. And if you saw my introduction to this class, my punk rocker character, that 
was to illustrate the principle how punk music became the voice for disenfranchised youth to rebel. So easy to play, just three chords. You had bands in England, the Ramones, Talking Heads were in America, uh, Sex Pistols, Blondie. And that pretty much all came about from the need that rock and roll needed to be hit upside the head. Burberries is another interesting uh, subject company to look at. They had done a, a period of expansion that was really haphazard, resulting in all these individual operations. Some parts of the country didn't, of the company in some one part of the world wouldn't talk to the other part. In some parts of the world, they competed against each other. It was crazy. Former CEO was clear that she wanted the Burberry franchise to have one company, one brand. So a new CEO came in in 2014 and took that approach and changed it to inspire the brand. Using data analytics, they leveraged customer insights to their strong digital presence and their network of brick-and-mortar stores to come up with this consistent brand voice. They started collaborations with musicians, which became integral to their strategy, designed a sustained ground, sorry, a sustained gown that Adele wore in her 2016 world tour. They embraced multi-channel marketing, adding mobile to their existing mix of retail and wholesale channels. And then 2017, Gobetti took over and he's now facing new challenges to their global strategy. And that means how do you deal with the declining popularity of department stores in the U.S.? There's a table which shows how McDonald's has been effective in their global marketing approach. I'm not going to read it to you, but I do recommend you look at it, study it, and understand it where it breaks out the four P's. And it shows you the standardized and the local approach they've taken. The importance of global marketing cannot be understated. 75% of total world markets for goods and services is outside this country. 75% of what Coke's operating income and two-thirds of his profit are outside of North America. 90% of the world market is outside of Japan for Japanese companies. 94% marketing potential is outside of Germany for its companies companies, even though it is the largest EU marketplace. Industries that were essentially national in scope a few years ago are dominated by a handful of global businesses. In most industries, those companies will survive and prosper in the 21st century that are global. Those that fail to formulate responses to these challenges and opportunities will certainly be absorbed by more dynamic, visionary enterprises. It's not going to be pretty for those that don't get with it. Ethnocentric operations orientations are when the home country is superior to others. They see only similarities in other countries. They assume products and services that succeed at home will be successful everywhere. This leads to a standardized or extension approach. GM's global product plan used to be four Regional plans stapled together, according to Robert Lutz, their former chair. 
And that mess resulted in 270 different radios in their cars because they let each division run on their own. By the way, I met Robert Lutz in my career, and he was quite an interesting fella and a visionary in the automotive industry. A polycentric orientation is where each country is unique. Each subsidiary develops its own unique business and marketing strategies. It's also referred to as multinational. Leads to a localized or an adapted approach, which assumes products much must be adapted to the local marketplace. Forces that affect global integration and global marketing, multilateral trade agreements, converging multi uh, market needs and wants. The information revolution, transportation and communication improvements, product development costs, quality. So what's driving global integration and global marketing? The world economic trade, that is obviously huge prior to the global economic crisis in 2008. Economic growth had been a driving force in the expansion of international growth and the growth of global marketing for three reasons. One, it was key in developing, in developing countries to create market opportunities, providing a major incentive for com companies to expand globally thanks to rising per capita incomes in India, China, and elsewhere. The growing ranks of middle-class consumers mean they have more money to spend than in the past. At that same time, Slow growth in industrialized countries had compelled management to look abroad for new opportunities. Second, economic growth has reduced resistance that might otherwise have developed in response to the entry of foreign firms into domestic economies. When a country like China is experiencing rapid growth, the policymakers are going to say outsiders are more favorable. A growing country means growing markets, more opportunity for all. As a consequence, a foreign country can enter a domestic economy and itself can just get established without threatening the assistance of local firms. Every boat is rising. The economy is growing. The latter can ultimately be strengthened by this new environment of competitiveness. And without it, without growth, global enterprise may take business away from domestic ones. So this kind of environment, you want domestic businesses to seek governmental investment Invention, intervention, sorry, duh, to protect their local positions. These are my notes and my handwriting's terrible. Predictably, the most recent uh, changes that have taken place in, in the country with some protectionism with Brexit and Trump uh, retreating from our trade uh, treaties has uh, caused us to take some steps backwards, in my mind. Uh, some of the other driving forces, uh, regional agreements, NAFTA, EU expansion, single currency, World Trade Organization, converging market wants and needs, uh, universal uh, cultural universals as well as differences. Uh, you think about the opportunity to create and serve global markets for such thing as soft drinks. Product adaptation is not always necessary. Competitors may be serving global markets. Uh, some call that the democratization of information. 
a revolution fueled by technologies, product and services, satellite dishes, global, uh, global spanning TV networks, CNN, MTV, uh, the Internet, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, other social media allow people from anywhere in the world to reach out. You can start a business simply by having an Internet connection and a, and a computer that ties out into the world. The Internet most definitely the strongest force allowing people to buy anywhere and sell. Transportation and communication, jet, jets allowing the world to travel in less than 48 hours. In 1970, there were 75 million international passengers. In 2011, 980 million, from 75 to 280. Airlines sell each other seats now, thanks to modern technology. International data, voice and um, video communication has fallen in the past several decades. Think Skype, Google+, Plus, although that's dying. Cisco telepresence. Um, these are new communication channels making international phone calls inexpensive. Faxing has fallen off. Emails, video conferencing, Wi-Fi. Inter uh, transportation costs have fallen. Thanks to designated ships, shipping autos from Japan to the U.S. costs much less today. And... Uh, and the cost to ship from Detroit to enter U.S. either coast. Product development costs. New pharmaceutical uh, drugs cost uh, in 1976, 54 million. Today, 400 million. And it takes 14 years to get a drug approved. Pharmaceutical companies go global to spread those costs. However, only seven countries account for 75% of pharmaceutical sales. Quality. Global manufacturing strategies are producing more revenues and higher margin, operating margins than in turn, that in turn support design and manufacturing quality. For example, a global company and a domestic company may spend 5% of their sales on R&D, but the global company may have many more times the total revenue because it serves the world marketplace. Leverage means that some type of leverage a company enjoys by the fact that it has experience in more than one country. They can conserve resources in new geographic markets. It enables a country to spend less time, less effort, and less money. In the, in the, globe, in the global strategy simulation, you're going to understand this very well. Think of Whirlpool's experience with major retailers in the U.S. allows them to get good, strong relationships with power retailers in the EU. Chevron has drilled every rock there is. When it's learned in one, it can transfer it to the other. Scale economies. Japan's Matasuba has built manufacturing plants to export to the world market. That's M-A-T-S-U-S-H-I-T-A. Other companies eliminate duplicated staffing positions by centralizing their function activities. Resource utilization. A major strength of global companies is his ability to scan the entire world to identify people, money, and raw materials that it will enable to compete in the most effective world marketplaces. And then global strategy designed to create a winning offering on a global scale. Think of Renault. They've operated as a regional company for years, but as the industry began to be dominated by global companies like Toyota, it had to develop a global strategy. Acquired a major stake in Nissan and, and in, a Roma, in the Romanian um, manufacturing company, Dacca. Invested a billion in a plant in Brazil, billions in Korea. That's the only way that you can grow. There pretty much covers 
the key learning points. I would recommend you listen to this a few times if it helps in getting down the key terms. The way the textbook is laid out, we're going to get an overview of global marketing in part one. Part two, we're going to talk about the environments of global marketing. Part three, we're going to get into global strategy. Part four, the considerations of the marketing mix globally. And lastly, integrating the dimensions of global marketing. Catch you on the next episode.